a special treat, as uh, Doug, Doug said, it's a special treat to have uh, the missionaries that could come in for the weekend with us. You all have been a huge ble- blessing to us this weekend. Um, Gary Morris, uh, he and his wife Kathy, she was not able to come. One of their grandchildren, in fact, their youngest grandchild, is having su- surgery tomorrow morning, and she didn't want to take a chance that American Airlines might mess up today. So she wanted to be able to make sure she was in the right place at the right time. So Kathy wasn't able to be here this weekend. But we've enjoyed having Gary with us. And he's going to come open the word of God to us this morning. And brother, it's just a wonderful treat if you'll come ahead. And um, Gary will be done when he's done. Isn't that right? I will be done on, on time. Okay. No, I told Gary, and I had a, uh, we, we don't worry about this stuff. I told him, look, the late ladies down the hall know this is mi- missions week, weekend. They know we take as long as we take. And when they found out you, you, you were coming, they ordered in lunch and they got naps ready and all kinds of stuff. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Kathy does send her love, and uh, Lord willing, we'd like to possibly come back this summer and just spend a few days and have some some relaxed time. Um, If you brought your Bibles, go ahead and open to Joshua 3. Keegan and I were visiting yesterday and Rick and I this morning, and I've got to talk to some of of those of you who, uh, not not too many people have have the years on you that uh, I do in here, but some of you are close, and we've got probably more behind us than ahead of us, and that causes uh, us to reflect on the memorials and the power and the protection and the provision that God has graciously given to us uh, through His Son, Jesus Christ. And there's been some defining moments uh, in all of our lives. And today we want to look at a defining moment in the life of a young fledgling nation uh, called Israel. In Joshua chapter 3, uh, it was a defining moment because <clears throat> they were about to cross the Jordan River and go into the Promised Land, which, amongst other things, uh, was going to represent rest for this nation. This nation had not known rest in several hundred years. Uh, the grandparents and parents of the people about to go in were uh, allowed to die in the Judean wilderness because of a lack of faith and because of a rebellion at Kadesh Barnea. And this lack of faith and rebellion were especially tragic because just prior to this, they were able to witness empirically some of the greatest miracles this planet has ever seen apart from creation itself and the cross. Uh, I'd like to think that we wouldn't do that. But people being people, sinful, uh, with our hearts desperately sick, the Bible says, who can understand it? Jeremiah, uh, it, it was just a tragic deal. So because of a lack of faith, their grandparents and parents were not allowed to participate in uh, one of the better covenants that has ever been given to mankind, the Mosaic Covenant. It was a no-lose situation. And yet... Many, many thousands and tens of thousands of people did lose because of a lack of faith. 
So they're on the precipice of going into the promised land, and they've got to cross the Jordan River. And to say the least, they're out of their comfort zone. And one of the things that I've seen in this chapter is that many times what seems to be a great risk in the Christian life, and we've all known them, uh, is really not a risk at all if we could see it from God's perspective. It's only a risk from our perspective because we can't control a second ahead of us, let alone a minute or a week. Uh, we don't know if we're going to make it out of here today, to tell you the truth, because of the rapture or anything else that might happen. Uh, so things being totally and completely, and thank the Lord, out of our control, uh, they were out of this nation's control at this very time, and what they thought was going to be very risky, they just kept their mouths shut. And whatever doubts they had in their hearts, we're going to see in the text, they did not express them at this time because of the past 40 years and what they saw, how God reacts to them not putting their trust in him uh, after all of the ob- objective truth and evidence that he'd given them to show them that he was indeed going before them like he went before Moses. He was going to go before Joshua, i.e., go before them and take care of them. So we start off this chapter, and what we're going to see is that God is going to bring this nation through a very similar miracle that he did to their uh, parents a short time before that to remind them, okay, your parents went through a similar miracle, and they're not with you today. I'm going to take you through uh, the crossing of the Jordan River. It's not quite as expansive as the Red Sea, but it's, it's very close, and the miracle was literally the same. Uh, So it says in chapter 3, verse 1, Then Joshua rose early in the morning. He and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan River, and they lodged there before they crossed. Now we'll read later in this chapter that the Jordan River was at flood stage, and that's important to remember that. Um, Because the place where they're going to cross was uh, probably half mile to three-quarters of a mile wide. It was maybe 20, 25, possibly 30 feet deep at its deepest. And there were easier places to cross. They could have went north and rocked across on a little fort or peninsula. Uh, the problem was that the Canaanites were further north, and they could have been picked off as they went across, number one. Number two, God wanted to demonstrate his power in the same way that he demonstrated it to their predecessors, except that he... Uh, was expecting them to behave in a much different fashion, which they did. Uh, So it says in verse 2, At the end of three days the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Now one of the things we do not see here is the fetching. Uh, sometimes I'll come and I'll use a Yiddish word, a Hebrew word. I've used fetching before. You all know what that is, right? No, Brent knows. It means complaining. Uh, the nation, we don't do this anymore, mind you, but the nation used to, used to complain a lot. But there was no complaining here because, again, whatever doubts they had, they had learned that they did not work previously to express a lack of faith. And all it does really is cause you not to trust God and then a a negative volition resumes and you get a sense of rebellion and a a lack of trust. And that does not please the Lord. And at this particular time, more than anything else, they wanted to make sure as much as possible that they pleased the Lord. So there's no complaining going on here. 
And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord their God represented God's presence with them. And for those of you who get our prayer letter, I wrote briefly about the emotional <clears throat> effects that uh, Moses leaving the nation right before they're going in on this big adventure. You know, he'd been with them in, in Israel, and he'd been with them through the emancipation of the nation in one night at the, at the Passover. And he'd been with them and been used by God as a channel or a straw through which God could manifest his power and do all of these miracles. And now when they, quote-unquote, need him the most, or they thought they needed him the most, he's not there. And he's not there because God wanted them to know that he's not who they think they needed the most. The one they needed the most was right there with them, just like he was with Moses. And he talks about that in the first chapter of this book. And he tells Joshua, just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. It wasn't Moses who you need. It's me who you need. And you've got me. So they go across, and the ark is going before them, which is a representation of God's provision, his power, everything they need, they could keep an eye on, literally. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of 2,000 cubits, about 3,000 yards. Do not come near it. That, and this is one of the best verses in this entire chapter, you may know the way by which you shall go. For... You have not passed this way before. You ever read this verse in your devotions, quiet times? Why is it so important for the nation to be told that they have not passed this way before when they absolutely know they have not passed this way before? It's obvious they haven't passed this way before. Ever. Not spiritually, not emotionally, not physically. Ever. So God is telling them that you may know, keep your eye on the ark, keep your eye on the Lord, have in your heart a great awareness of who it is that's going before you because you're about to enter a phase of life which you know nothing about and you're going to have to trust me like you've never had to trust me before. That's what he's telling them. Any of us ever go into stages of life like that? Flood stages? Yeah, about to. Well, we have not passed this way before, ever. So he was reminding them of this. They, it's a lot deeper than it seems on the surface. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves or set yourselves apart, uh, basically to avoid the disaster that your parents and grandparents did. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So after 40 years of seeing basically everybody above 20 years old die off. So it's a very young nation going in. The oldest person in this group is 60, apart from Joshua and Caleb, right? 60 years old is the oldest person. Um, I wouldn't have been there. <laughs> Many of you wouldn't have been there. So <clears throat> they're about to go in, and the leader, the human leader of the nation is telling them, get ready for tomorrow. You're going to see a miracle. Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the cro and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. So who's really going ahead of the people? The Lord God, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, is going before the people. And many times through this chapter, and many times through, quote-unquote, the Old Testament, 
the Hebrew Scriptures, it says, Lord of heaven and earth, or uh, the God of heaven and earth. And the reason is because the pagan gods were just pagans or the small g gods were just rulers over certain areas. You know, you had the water god, the Nile god, the frog god, the fly god, the dirt god, the tree god, the leaf god, whatever. And so the pagans would hedge their bets because if the moon god didn't come through, well, okay, we got other gods. We can go to the tree god. But they were just, had a little bit of power over a little bit of area. So God in his writings to the nation makes sure it's clear that the one who the pagans worship, who you're going to take out, uh, they're worshiping the creation, not the creator. I'm the creator who created the things that the pagans are worshiping. So he reminds them of this. Uh, verse 7, Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You ever thought about what it must have felt like for Joshua to lead this nation in? And his good buddy, brother, fellow believer is not at his side. He probably wanted to wait about ten more years and train some guys and can we get up a, a you know a more accurate plan, Lord? I'm really not sure what's going on. And the Lord says, No, you're really not sure because you haven't passed this way before. You're gonna have to trust me. So God is telling him, I was with Moses and I will be with you. You don't need Moses, you need me and you have me. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Again, we're going to find out this is flood stage. You know what happens if you drop the Ark? Your spirit leaves you very quickly. We have evidence of that in, in the Old Testament. It's no joke. And they're going out in the middle of this water where they actually pass over on dry ground, but they don't know that. They're going to step into this water at flood stage, the raging Jordan River. (laughs) They're just going to have to step in and trust that they're not going to drop it, that it's going to do whatever. They don't know yet. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. By this Uh, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispossess from you uh, the Canaanite, Hittite, Hivite, Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. So within the last few verses, we've read several times the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. In other words, the presence of God is going before us. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, man, one man from each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of your feet, when it soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. In case you forgot, like five minutes ago, here it is again. He's telling the nation this. The nation cannot forget this. <clears throat> Carry the ark, the Lord of all the earth. Rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off. And the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. Does this sound familiar? Now, we're going to go through chapter 4 real quickly, just looking at a few verses. We find out, though, later in chapter 4, you know what day this is? This is Nisan the 10th, four days before Passover. 
Passover is Nisan the 14th. So every time for millennia, from this point on, that the nation of Israel celebrates Passover, they're going to have a memorial back to two things. One time when they were led out of Egypt, crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground. But then the other miracle of when they actually went into the Promised Land and crossed over the Jordan River on dry ground. So they'll have both memorials very close together. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, so nothing happens till the feet of the priest carrying the Ark touch the water. That's not a real comforting feeling because they don't know what the Lord's about to do. They just know he's about to do something big. For the Jordan overflows all of its banks all the days of harvest. This is the springtime. This is when it rains a lot in Israel on a good year, (laughs) kind of like West Texas. They want it to rain a lot in the spring, and they want it to rain a lot in the fall, early lanes, late rains. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away from Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those which were flowing down toward the Sea of of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, that's a fairly large sea in southern Israel. I think you all know where that is. Not much grows in it now. Uh, Were completely cut off so the people crossed opposite Jericho. So one of the reasons the Lord wants them to cross here is because they're going to march around Jericho seven times, and on the seventh day they're going to march around another seven times, and the walls are going to fall, and they're going to go in and have a massive victory because they were so ingenious, because they were so powerful, because their military leaders graduated from some of the best war colleges in Egypt, right? No, because the God who was with Moses is now the God who was with Joshua, who's the God who was with Israel, and he's going before them. And he's going to do miracle after miracle and uh, demonstrate his power in ways that should give them no doubt that the promised land is only waiting before them. And they're going to live in cities which they didn't build and eat from olives and vineyards which they didn't plant. And olive trees take a long, long time to produce an adequate fruit that you can use. Wish I could tell you about the olive tree. It's an amazing tree. <laughs> it survives drought. You can hardly burn it to death. Uh, the fruit is amazing. They do all kinds of things with it. It's my new favorite tree. But we're not talking about that today. And the priest stood, <clears throat> and the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. With all, of it, with all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had, cro- had finished crossing the Jordan. So 40 years before this, the parents and grandchildren, uh, grandparents of the people who are now going in did not go in because of a lack of faith. They are now going in because they do have faith. It's a different generation. It's a different generation because God had left a lot of positive memorials and some negative memorials uh, for them to understand what his direction would be. 
Now, real quickly, in chapter 4, it says, Now, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet were stand, are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So basically, they're going to take some stones, and they're going to bring them to the edge of the banks of the Jordan. And later on, they're going to take these stones, and they're going to bring them to the edge or the gate of the camp of Gilgal. And again, for those who... uh, I just wrote about this briefly, but Gilgal was their home base, where they were going to go out on reconnaissance missions and go to war and go to battles. And then they were going to come back to their home base at Gilgal, Uh, each day or after every battle. Now, don't you know that some who went out would not come back? Or even if they all come back, some would be wounded severely, uh, possibly missing limbs. Uh, It was hand-to-hand combat then, and it was just a different kind of warfare. And don't you know that the wives and children of those who were leaving Gilgal, uh, it just wasn't a happy day because maybe dad wasn't coming back. And if he did, would it be okay? So there's a lot of angst and consternation within the nation every time they're going out. Even though they know that God is with them still in our humanness, they were put in a place where they're taking massive risks. But waiting for them when they came home was this memorial reminding them at the very gates of the entrance to the city of Gilgal of what God had done for them. And then that memorial pointed back to what God had done for them in delivering them out of Egypt. And the incredible demonstration of power that God was willing to show them to help them trust Him. I'm absolutely convinced, the older I get, once we come to know the Lord Jesus in a saving way, that there is a very simple yet profound thing he wants to show us. And that is, when we see him, will we have learned to trust him? You know, in Hebrews 11:6 it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Without faith it is impossible to please him. And so what he does is he takes us through a lifetime of flood stages and a lifetime of bringing our feet up to the edge of a hard time in life. And he wants us to take one more step and watch him work. It's not always like we wished he'd work, but he always works. And did we ever stop to think, I was thinking about this recently, that when things don't work out, like we wished they would have. That maybe it's how we handle them that will cause our inheritance in eternity to be be that much richer. Maybe it's not because of what we wish. Maybe it's because for all of eternity, if we handle that situation in a way demonstrating faith, we will be so glad we did. He wants us to get to a place where we can trust in His ever-loving, literally, arms. I've recently memorized a verse. It's out of Isaiah 41.10. It's 
For God says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you or look over your shoulder. And why? For I am God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will, up, I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a powerful verse, folks. And that wasn't written for several hundred years after this incident. But that's what he's wanting them to understand right now. Surely he will strengthen them. Surely he will uphold them. And to remind them, I'm going to give you 12 stones to put at the edge of your camp. So every day when you go out and when you come back, you'll be reminded that I am there with you. So, the next thing they do, uh, let's see. They take the stones out, verse 3. So Joshua called the 12 men, verse 4, who had appointed for the sons of Israel, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again the ark, cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign to you. Let me see. That's not what it says. Let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean? Papa, Zadie, Mom, what do these stones mean? You shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, notice that it says when it crossed the Jordan. It crossed first, right? The presence of God went before the nation. And the presence of God had the power of God, which stopped up the waters immediately and then dried it out. Immediately. Uh, The waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded. They took out the twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke, according to the number of the tribes. They carried them over with them to the lodging place. Then, verse 9, Joshua set up twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan, at the place where the feet of the priest who carried the ark of the covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. Now, this seems a little strange. Joshua, under the instructions of the Lord, had him take 12 stones and put them back out in the middle of the Jordan, which, by the way, you know, you can only reach up so high. So most at that particular time, once the waters came back and, and were at flood stage again, you couldn't even see those rocks then. But that was dirt just during flood stage, and that's only two, three weeks in the spring and two, three weeks in the fall. So for between 10 and a half and 11 months of year, a year, you'd have this pile of stones in the middle of the Jordan River so that any Israelites living, living on the west side of the Jordan, a couple tribes stayed behind, half tribes, but the people living on the west side, I guess the east side, would look out for at least 10 months a year in the middle of this river and be reminded that at one time when we came into the Promised Land, God stopped up these waters. And then, every flood stage, those rocks would disappear because the waters would cover them. And they'd be reminded again of the same miracle, but in a different way. God's pretty smart. 
So uh, the priests who carried the ark were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. They had a little bit extra to do here. (laughs) They didn't know when these waters were going to come. I mean, I'm sure by now they thought, okay, he's going to make sure they stay up until we're out of here. But they're having to basically just stay out there till all this is done. According to all that, Moses had commanded Joshua, and the people hurried and crossed. I bet they did. Well, it goes on through the chapter. Um, basically, what God did was he, he gave two memorials, one in the middle of the Jordan, and then he brought to Gilgal. Now, many times when we think of memorials, and what they are is remembering back to something significant that demonstrated God's power and God's provision and his mercy. In this particular uh, case, it demonstrated God's ability to get them into that land safely. And what that land represented was rest. Rest is very, very important to God that we have it. And the reason is, is because what rest represents is the human beings who are part of the creation placing faith in the one who created them and trusting in the fact that he will take care of us no matter what. That's what rest represents. And God wanted these stones to be a memorial so that the nation could look back to the day and the time when he brought them into their place of rest, which their parents did not know and their grandparents did not know. And the people before them were literally tens of thousands starved to death and worked to death. You know, when they were back in Egypt, uh, some, there are some people now that believe, that study things that far back, <laughs> that many, many, many of the Israelites died because they were just flat out worked to death. Uh, they didn't have enough food, and they just died. And so what God wanted to do was show them his benevolence and his grace in ways that they would never forget. So he brings them to a place and he gives them home which, homes which they didn't build and he'll feed them. And they're only going to have to work six days uh, rather than the rest of the world that worked seven at the time. And he's going to show them that you walk with me and you'll have rest. And you'll have it for a long time. may not be in every way that you expect, but you will be able to rest. So memorials really... Look back to, uh, there's more here, but it takes some explaining. But there, many times we think uh, they're just for future generations. But they're not always for future generations. They were for the men and women and children of Gilgal who had to go out and fight and came back every day to look at those stones. But they're also for present generations. Uh, You know, the little kids, again, didn't go out to war with their dads. They stayed behind. And they, with mom, probably prayed that dad would come home, possibly even grandpa. And, uh, you know, who knows how often they went outside the gates. But when they did and they saw the stones, they said, Mom, what are those stones? Maybe it's the first time they've seen them. Maybe they're five, six, seven years old. She goes, well, let me tell you about those stones. Let me tell you what God did for our people. 
And let me tell you how he protects us. Let me tell you about the miracle he did at the Jordan. And you know, every year at Passover, when we look back to the parting of the Red Sea, well, this was a similar miracle. And it gives them a chance to go back to the, to the Jordan, back to the Red Sea, and then all the way back to Egypt. And, she, and then mom can tell the kids, you know, we're here today because God didn't give up on us. We failed him. We blew it at times. Our nation rebelled. We deserved death. And yet here we are, a living reminder of the covenant made with Father Abraham when God took up a relationship with us before the law was ever given. You ever think about that? God came into a relationship with Israel hundreds of years before the law was ever given. Before he ever gives them a structure for life, he yadad or knew them in ways before they were ever born. Does that sound like it, like any... Uh, Scriptures in Romans. So uh, this chapter is all about God. It's not about Israel. It's about God showing his faithfulness. It's about God encouraging them and us to just learn one simple truth. Can we trust him? When the waters are raging and the flood stages come, And he asks us to take risk, and we don't know what's on the other side. But if we're sure it's him who's asking, then we better well step in with both feet. And we'll be okay. We will be okay. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the privilege that Kathy and I have to serve with them. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have. I'm sure everybody here could say amen that we have to serve you. I pray, Lord, as we go through life, we would recognize what is real. The things that are real are permanent and mostly unseen. The pagans worship things which they could touch and things which they could feel and things which were seen, and yet the pagans worshiped unreality. Israel and us worship a God who cannot be seen. We see your effects in our life. We see the the, uh, leading and guiding into the truth of the Scriptures by your Spirit. But we are not face-to-face with you yet. One day, Lord, we will. And we anxiously long for that moment when we can sit at your feet and rest. So until that day, Lord, I pray that you would give us a very high quality of faith. Help us to see how trustworthy you are. For there probably is no greater lesson than for us to understand what reality really is and then rest in it. In Jesus' name, amen.